Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. All right, let's see what kind of crowd we're working with today. Who's excited to be in church? Anybody? Come on, let's go. Hey, while we're pumped up, can we welcome everyone joining us online as well? Let's give a shout out to our church family online. You guys are just as much a part of our family. We're so glad that you're worshiping with us as well. And next week, I know it's been said already, but it's Easter. Who's excited about Easter? Like our teams have been working overtime. Like seriously, they're gonna, gonna bring an incredible opportunity for you to introduce you know, your friends and family who are far from God to Jesus and our, our serve teams are, are ready to open the doors to, to hundreds of first-time visitors. Our kids' teams have been working overtime putting together some special programming for our little ones. And just, just so you know, it's going to be a great time. So I hope you're fired up about bringing some people with you. If you're not, shame on you, number one. Number two, I think you will be by the time that we're done today. All right? Are you with me? Acts chapter 2. Three people clap. That's fine. It says this. Uh, let's get into the message. It says this, that they, somebody say they. They being the church. This is the early church. This is the church that, you know, just began. The Holy Spirit uh, has fallen and the church is just starting to grow and catch fire. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship into the breaking of bread. Come on, somebody. Followers of Jesus know how to eat. And to prayer. It says, and everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs of the apostles. Well, what's that about? That's about the fact that the Holy Spirit fell. And now people are, are hearing the good news of the gospel. In fact, on the, the, the day that the early church began, Peter got up and preached a message. And, and thousands, the Bible said, were being saved. There's healings happening. There's all this stuff happening. Uh, miracles are happening. That's what it's referring to. And can I tell you something? Those didn't stop in the New Testament. We believe, and you walked into a church that believes God is still doing miracles, that God's still healing people, that people are still being set free from addictions, that families are still being restored. You should know that about this church. We still believe that God does miracles. And if you're thinking, oh, this is one of those weirdo, you know, Holy Ghost kind of churches with a bunch of weird people. Actually, the Holy Spirit doesn't make you weird. You know, people are just weird. So you were weird before you got the Holy Spirit. Just so you know, if you're weird... And secondly, this is not a church that says, hey, we got the Holy Spirit, you know, and we're better than you. This is not like a, we got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. How about? That's not, that's not how we see it. How many of you know the Holy Spirit doesn't make me better than you? It makes me better than me. And I need the Holy Spirit. How many of you are willing to admit that you need something that's better than you, leading you, directing you, guiding you? Like, I need that. And so this is what it says. It says, so all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had needs. So there's this radical spirit of generosity that's also moving through the church. Every day, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Y'all just come once a week. You need to step up your game. It says every day. And, right, they gathered in a large group there, but they also broke bread in homes. So they had this large group gathering, 
And then the small group gathering. So some of you thought, you know, this is the, the idea of the church, you know, our, our current churches. No, this is the, the biblical, you know, way it was set up that they would get together in small groups. It says, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Now, here's the verse I want us to focus on. And the Lord added to their number, say it out loud. What's that word? Daily. Added to their number daily those who were being saved. So the church is growing every single day. In fact, you should know that it's God's heart and God's goal for his church to grow. I said this last week in, in this service only that, that, you know, if you're asking, is this one of those churches all you guys do is care about the numbers? Unapologetically, yes. We're all about the right numbers. In fact, um, we're, we're about the numbers because that every single person that you come into contact with is an image bearer of God. And every single person you come in contact with has a name. And that name represents someone that Jesus died on the cross to give his life for. So if you ask me, are we about the numbers? 100% yes. Unashamedly, yes. We are all about the right numbers. Are you with me? In fact, so is God's word, by the way. There's a book called Numbers in the Bible. And Acts talks a lot about the numbers, you know, how the church ex exploded in the early days and 3,000 were added. So it's, God is all about the right numbers. But look at this verse. It says, adding to the church daily those who are being saved. Those who are being saved. How many of you are a, you know, you got to tell me why before I do what it is that you want me to do kind of person? You know what I'm talking about? You got to tell me what for. Like, like I, maybe I'm just bent this way a little bit, but I need to understand, right, the, the mission before I get involved in what you want me to get involved in. I need to understand the purpose of the thing you're asking me to engage in before I actually get engaged in. So I'm always like, all right, tell me why. Tell me why. I got to know the why. Um, recently, you know, Chris and I, we would take our, our boys, our whole family. We haven't done it for a little while prior to just yesterday, but we take our family out to dinner. We're like, all right, let's take the whole family to dinner. Like all, all four of the boys, the whole Atkins Circus going out to dinner. And if you don't know this, I have four boys from the ages of 16 down to five, all right? And you're like, man, you must love kids. No, I love my wife, all right? So that's, <laughs> I love my kids too, two of them. Um, <laughs> but she would say, hey, let's go out to dinner, all, all of us together, the family to a restaurant. And so parents, you know this, right? Like we had forgotten what it was like the last time the whole family went out to the restaurant. Anybody with me? Because we spend most of our time breaking up fights. We have to strategically sit them around the table to where they don't touch each other or breathe on each other or cross the invisible, you know, line, right? Because, you know, then that's just a fight waiting to happen. And then the little one, you know, starts losing his mind and he's tired and he's done and he's cranky and the phone won't like, you know, pacify him anymore. And he won't watch anything. And some of you, I don't know what you thought it was like around the Atkins household, but it's probably not much different than your household. Just so you know, the boys are fighting like they're not even sitting by each other and they're fighting. They're kicking each other under the table. And Kristen just looks at me and she's like, never again never again. Right. And I'm like, nope, never again. Like, why did we do this? Like they'll come out to dinner with us when they are older and they can pay for it themselves. But from now on, it's just you and me, girlfriend. It's just us two. Right. But like, why? And sometimes we forget. And yesterday we actually did go out, went to Applebee's, your neighborhood bar and grill. And, uh, and it was fine. 
Like we had a good time with the family. So until the end, they started throwing stuff and sticking stuff to the window. And that's, that's a true story. But you got to tell me like why? Like if you want me to do something, it's I need to know why. What am I getting myself into? Or my boys will ask me, they'll say, hey, dad, can you buy us this thing? And it's usually like maybe some clothing, you know, for, for soccer, for something. Or I need a new swimsuit. And my question is, all right, why? Like why do you need it? Well, because I just need one. Okay, well, your current one is on the floor in your room upstairs. So why do you think I'm going to buy you a new one? Hey, parents, amen, right? Say amen. That's the first time some of you ever said amen in church right there. Like why? I need to know why. And I want us to think about, about the season of, of, of um, Palm Sunday and Easter from this kind of perspective of why. Like why did all this happen? Like why did God send his, his one and only son to this earth in human form, put a flesh suit on, right, and walk the earth for, for 30 years and then around his 30th birthday, like begin a three-year-long ministry? where he would heal people, where he would set people free, where he would teach people these unbelievable principles that were counter to culture. Like, why? Why did he come over the Mount of Olives and go down into Jerusalem, into the city, knowing that he would be crucified? Why did he do that? Like, why did he, why did he you know, ride in there knowing like, that, that he was going to face that kind of execution? It wasn't, didn't catch him off guard. It wasn't a surprise to him. Why in the Garden of Gethsemane did he pray and, and sweat like in the form of drops of blood come down his head, which is a real like, condition, medical condition that can happen? Why? Why did that happen? Why did they, they, they put nine-inch nails through his wrists? And nine inch nails through his, his ankles, right through his feet. Why did he get a spear in his side? Why did he die a criminal's death when he was no criminal at all, right? Which, by the way, spoiler alert, he gets up three days later. That's next week's message, just so you know. He doesn't stay dead. Just a little clue you in on, on what's happening. But why? And I would say for one reason, not my words, his words, in Luke 1910, it says the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. And so we need to understand that he didn't come and do all that to make life better for us. Although I would argue that if you put Jesus first in your life, it does make your life better. Not easier. Come on, somebody. But better. I would argue that, that he didn't come to, to build this exclusive thing. Right? There was, you know, kind of a country club type of church where it was just us four and no more kind of idea that only certain people could get in on, only certain people who you think are, are really good. No, he came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to find the woman who was caught in adultery. You know, he came to, came to her. He came to Zacchaeus, a man who everybody hated, who was a, a tax collector who sold out his own people. Right, so he could collect taxes on, on behalf of Rome. He came, and the religious elite of the day said that he was a friend of sinners and a drunkard. But how many of you in this room are grateful that Jesus is a friend of sinners? I know that I am. He came to let us all know that there is a place at the table of God and that anybody that is carrying shame and guilt and mistakes and past, that if you would just lay that at his feet, that you are all welcomed and invited to that table. Are you with me? He came to give life to the full. That's what the Bible says. And so I think there's this story that perfectly illustrates um, this, this idea of really Jesus' mission, and, and he was interacting with a couple of guys who were up to no good, started making trouble. I'm sorry. Um, this is just how I think. 
This interaction with a couple of guys named Philip and Nathaniel, if you have your Bible, in John chapter 1. Philip and Nathaniel. And as we read this, I want to give us three simple thoughts. But how many of you know that it's generally the simple thoughts applied to your life that often have the most profound results in your life? And I believe if we will put these three simple thoughts into practice, that not only will it change your life, but it could potentially alter the eternity of the people who are in your life. Now, I know that that's a big statement. That's a bold statement. But how many of you know we have a big God, a God who's able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine? And so then we're going to give you these three things. And here's what the Bible says. We'll get into the story in John chapter 1. It says, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Now, Galilee, talking about the Sea of Galilee, the Galilee region is where Jesus did most of his earthly ministry. Uh, specifically in a place called Capernaum, which was kind of his home base for for ministry. If you look at a map of the Sea of Galilee, he spent most of his time doing ministry from about 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock on a map. And so he's just kind of like, that's where he did some really cool things. And so that's where he is. It's the, the northernmost part of the Sea of Galilee. It says this, finding Philip, he said to him what? Say it out loud. Follow me. Finding Philip, he said, follow me. And then he gives us a little indication of how Philip fits into the whole picture. It says this, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And here's what I want you to notice. Notice, finding Philip, he said, follow me. If you're a note taker, write this down. Uh, which, by the way, just so you know, if, if you take notes, it doesn't make you better than the person sitting next to you. It does mean God loves you more. So <laughs> you should write it down. Oh, I'm going to write that. Thought number one, God invites us. God does the inviting. God draws us. God calls us. The text said Jesus found Philip. And it's really important that we understand this and get this idea about our Christian life and that we get it framed up right in our minds that God is searching for us, not the other way around. And I know sometimes, you know, people will say, well, back in my early 20s, you know, I found God. Well, actually, you didn't find God. God wasn't missing. He ain't lost. You are, the Bible uses the metaphor, lost. I was lost, and God found us. Jesus wasn't lost. Philip was lost. God wasn't lost. You and I are lost. But I understand the sentiment where we say things like, you know what? I, I got to a place in my life where I understood and realized I needed a Savior, and I was desperate for God. And in that moment, you know, I would say I found God. But in reality, and we have to understand this, that we were searching in a whole lot of other areas other than God to fill something in our life. But God, come on, somebody say, but God. But God intervened. But God came and he rescued us in his mercy and in his grace, right? And in his, his, his searching for us, he found us. And for some of you, he came looking for you through your praying mama, right? Or he came looking for you through your best friend in high school. Or he came looking for you through, you know, someone in your neighborhood. He came looking for you. He used someone. However, it was God that came looking for you, not the other way around, and why that is so important for us to understand, and it's not simply, you know, verbal semantics, is because if I think I had anything to do with my salvation experience, 
If I think Colby pulled himself up by his bootstraps, right, and I corrected myself and I got myself, no, it was all God. It was all by his grace and his grace alone that I'm saved, right? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. I once was what? Lost. But now I'm found. I was blind. That's right. And when I could not look to find God, God came looking for me. Right? God looks for us. God searches for us. So that means now why do I want to serve him? Because he found me. And my only appropriate response to a God who would find me and search for me is I just want to give him my whole life in service. Like why do I want to live generously? Is because he was generous to me. And in his kindness and his mercy, he, he found me. And God gave his very best in the form of his son for my life. So I just want to give my life back to him. Think about this for a second. And even in all of your brokenness and all of your mistakes and all of your jacked up edness, that's a new word, write it down. Even in all of your guilt and the shame that you carry because of what you've done in your life, God still came looking for you and says, hey, follow me, follow me. In spite of all that, he says, follow me. Kobe, I want you to follow me. Yeah, but God, I'm just, I'm a mess. I know. Follow me. I'm still inviting you. And I want you to know that the table of God isn't for certain people. It's for everyone. Again, it's not for the spiritual elite. It doesn't mean you have to jump through all these religious hoops. He says, no, everyone is invited. Finding Philip. Philip didn't find Jesus. Jesus found Philip. And let me remind somebody today, he's still in the business of searching for people. He's never given up on that. He's still searching for the lost, the broken, right? Those who are, are without hope. Jesus went looking for him. Philip didn't say, hey, can I be one of your disciples? Can I be one of your followers? Can I join your squad? He said, no, like he, he, Jesus went looking for him because he's in the business of seeking people. And I submit that if we are a church that's gonna be about the heart of God, then we're gonna be about creating space at the table for people who are far from God to have an introduction to him. Are you with me? Like create a, we're, 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 we're gonna be about a place that says, hey, there's plenty of room at the table, pull up a seat. There's plenty of forgiveness, there's plenty of mercy, there's plenty of grace for anyone who wants to pull up a seat at the table. And I love that he simply said, follow me. He kept it simple, right? Kiss it, keep it simple, stupid, right? I need that, because I'm a cookies on the bottom shelf, you know, kind of person. He kept it simple, he just said, follow me period. If he just said, Colby, when he found me, if he just said, I need you to do this and this and this thing and jump through that hoop, how many of you know I'd have been like, no, I'm good. But he didn't. He just said, follow me. And I think that's important to note because it didn't say he called, he found Philip and then said, hey, you need to get perfect and you need to get right and you need to follow me from that kind of place. He said, no, I just want to take you on that journey. Because I know people, and you probably know people who, who have said this before. Well, if I walk through the doors of the church, it's going to burn down. Anybody know those people? Well, if I'm going to come through the church, you know, I got to get my act together first. I got to clean up first. No, that's never how it was meant to happen. Like, we come to God so that we can get cleaned up, not the other way around. We don't do this ourselves. So he simply said, follow me. Get on this, this journey. And we'll take care of those things as we go. And look what happened. As soon as Jesus found Philip, watch what Philip did, verse 45. Philip did what? He found Nathaniel. 
He found Nathaniel. Why? Because found people find people. And every time there, someone has an encounter with Jesus in the, the scriptures, their immediate response is to go tell everyone else what they experienced with this man, Jesus. And it says, he told them, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then look what Nathaniel says. He says, Gerard, can anything good come from there? No, I'm just kidding. He doesn't say that. Sorry. I said guys mills earlier and people are like, where is that? I'm like, I don't even know where that is. He says, Nazareth, right? Can anything good come from there? And what does Philip say back to him? He simply says this, come and see. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, come and see. Go ahead. Look at the other neighbor that you didn't want to talk to and say, come and see. Come and see. Do you see the progression here? Philip gets in the presence of Jesus and something inside him changes. And immediately, this is from like the last verse to this verse. This isn't like a, a year later. This isn't like, you know, four months later. Come on, somebody. This isn't like, well, I got to work some stuff out in my own life first. This isn't like, let me figure some things out about how this, this religion thing works and how faith works and following Jesus works. No, immediately after he encounters Jesus, he says, I got to tell my buddy Nathan about this. I got to get to Nathaniel and tell him to come and see. And his response is, can anything good come from Nazareth? So here is the progression. Write it down. God invites us. Then number two, we bring others. We bring others. Like why on earth would you be stingy with the grace and the mercy that God has given you? Why would you not want other people to experience that as well? Like we bring others. I almost said, you know, God invites us and then we invite others. But based on what happened here, I think the concept is Philip brought, physically brought Nathaniel to Jesus. He didn't just invite him. He didn't just say, hey, bro, next week is Easter. I'm going to the 1145 or whatever times we have. Hope to see you there. That's not what it says, right? He said, come with me. Come and see. Do you remember the, the woman at the well? That Jesus said, hey, uh, he told her everything about her life. And she ran back to the, the village and said, I met a man who told me everything about my life. You know, could this be the Messiah? And she grabbed everybody up she could and said, come and see. And I don't know if you realize this, but you have been strategically placed in a sphere of influence. You have been strategically placed in that, in that household, in that neighborhood, in that school, in that PTO, PTA, whatever they're called, you have been in that cubicle, in that office. Like it is not by accident that you were there. No, Colby, I bought that house in that neighborhood or my kid signed up to play, you know, in that, in that sports team. Or I, I, you know, I, I got that job, you know, that I applied for. No, nothing in your life is by accident. God placed you in that moment. God placed you there in that situation. Like, why? Why did he put you there? Because he needed to have a mouthpiece for heaven, and he wanted to work it through you. Again, it was never meant to stop with you. It might have started with you, but it was never meant to stop with you. So it says he found Philip so Philip could go find Nathaniel. And so I would say this. If you have been found by the love of God, then it is now our responsibility 
really our privilege to go find others on his behalf. If you have been found and you've been rescued and you've been given this, this unbelievable gift of grace and mercy, then it's our privilege to go find others. And the reality is God has placed you somewhere on someone's timeline of their spiritual journey for you to have an intersection and a meeting with them. Do you know that every single person is on a spiritual journey? Every single person in this room. Even atheists are on a spiritual journey. Agnostics are on a spiritual journey. People who don't want anything to do with God or engage in anything with God, they're all on a spiritual journey. Why, Colby? Because God created people in his image. And God put, the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes, he, he set, he resowed eternity into the human heart. So everybody's looking for something beyond themselves whether they want to admit it or not. And they're all trying to fill that void, that God-shaped void with anything and everything, whether it's work or accomplishments or, or pleasure or something that, that can fill it in an attempt to feed that craving. And you are a part of that journey. And God has placed you in a specific moment in time for you to intersect right that timeline of their spiritual journey. So what's my part, Colby? I don't know. Maybe your part's just to plant a seed in their life. To say, you know what, God loves you and Jesus died for you. Or maybe, maybe someone did that back in, in high school or someone did that in college. You know, they had that roommate that just by their life and by their example of their life, you know, lived like a follower of Jesus. And maybe they, a seed was already planted. So maybe your job now is to water it. Like, I don't know. Or maybe you get the unbelievable privilege of seeing that seed come to harvest in their life. And seeing God transform their life from the inside out with this radical love. I don't know what your part is. All I know is you have a part. Are you with me? Like, I don't know what part you're going to play. Whether it's planting or watering or being a part and seeing the harvest come to happen. But we have a part. And I think some of the roadblocks we have in doing that are like, well, what if they ask me a question that I can't answer? What if they, Colby, what if they ask me about the dinosaurs? And what happened to the dinosaurs? You know, where'd they go? And when did they die? And the world being billions and billions and billions and trillions of years. Like, what if they asked me that? Listen, I don't know. But can we just take a cue from Philip and just say, come and see? Come and see? What if they asked me something about, about the Bible and what the Bible says about this or that? I don't know. But can't we just say, come and see? Can I tell you something? An experience with God, 100% of the time trumps an explanation of God. And so if you will just get them into the presence of God, into an environment where, where God can, can, can meet them in that moment. Listen, I don't, I don't know all the answers, and you don't have to. No one has ever been debated into the love of God, but, but man, they've been loved into the love of God. They've been cared for into the love of God. If you just get them into God's presence, that's what he's saying, man. I, I don't know the answer, Nathaniel. I don't know if anything good can come from Nazareth. I don't know. I don't anything to know about geography. I'm not sure. But all I know is I met this man who changed my life. I met this man who gave me a peace and a hope. I don't even understand it. I don't understand where it comes from. It's just a supernatural peace and hope that I have being around him. And the only thing I could think about after meeting him was I gotta tell you, and I gotta tell you, and I gotta tell you, I gotta tell everybody I know. Are you with me? That's what he's saying. Come and see. 
come and see. And let me be clear about this because we always say, you know, clarity is kindness. I'm not asking you to, to bring them to your church. I'm not asking you to, to point them to your favorite YouTuber or your favorite podcast or whatever it is. Those all might be great. However, none of those has the power to change anyone's life. None of them. Only Jesus, only the presence of God has the power to change someone's life. He says, come and see. Now, this will require you to step out of your comfort zone, will it not? But why would you not want to? Why would you not, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've received this radical gift of mercy and grace, think about the person who always, you know, every single week it seems like at the office they're telling you how their marriage is awful and it's broken and they're not sure if it's going to make it. Why wouldn't you want to bring them into the presence of the one who can actually do something about that? Or about that, that friend at school who's telling you that their anxiety and depression is overwhelming them. Maybe they've even said they've had suicidal ideations. Like, why would you not want to bring them into the presence of the one who can set them free from those things? Just come and see. Come and see. Can anything good come from Nazareth? I don't know. But come and see. Listen, if Jesus has changed your life, why wouldn't you invite people into that journey? That should be convicting. If he has rescued you and saved you, why wouldn't you want other people to experience the same thing? But, but PC, what if they, you know, they get offended at my invitation to come and see? What if I ask them, you know how everybody's getting offended these days about something? Like, what if I ask them to invite them to church and they get offended? Listen, first of all, I've never had anybody get offended to an invitation. And secondly, you don't ever think twice about inviting people into the meaning moments in your life, meaningful moments in your life, the ones that matter the most to you, do you not? You don't have any reservation about inviting them to meaningful moments in your, your life. I'll put it this way. If I get a, a wedding invitation in the mail and I open it up, my first thought isn't, how dare they invite me to this wedding? Like, who do they think they are, right? Psh, coming up in my mailbox and blah, blah, like, what? No, I don't think that. I think, all right, well, how can I make this work? Like, does this fit in the schedule, man? Because I really want to be there. Why? Because it's a meaningful moment in their life. And so I would say this, if people know Jesus means that much to you, then they will not be offended for you to invite them into the moments that mean the most to you. Are you with me? They won't be offended by that. You'd invite them into that, that moment. Here's at the end. I'll, I'll land this thing. It says this, verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, right? So he found Philip. Philip has this encounter, this radical encounter with Jesus. Can't explain it. But the first thing he thinks is, I have to go tell my friend Nathanael. When Nathanael was approaching, he said of him, look at it. Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Man, how, how awesome of a compliment is that from Jesus, right? The son of God. I think the New Living Translation says a man of integrity. It says this, uh, Nathaniel responded, how do you know me? Like, you don't know me. How do you know me? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were sitting under the fig tree before Philip called you. 
Now, at first, it's like, all right, what does that have to do with anything? What, what does that, that mean? I don't want you to miss this. Jesus was telling Nathaniel something about himself that only Nathaniel would know. And I'm not exactly sure what that moment was at the fig tree, why he was there by himself, but obviously it was something, something meaningful. The Bible doesn't say. All it says is in that moment, whether something was going on in his own life or whatever, and Jesus said, hey, remember when you were sitting alone by the fig tree? I, I saw you there. And so it says this, his response right away, Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. So God invites us, we bring others. And then here's the last thing we do. We trust God with the outcome. We trust God to do what only he can do. Listen, I've never saved anybody. Correction, I have actually. It was at the cakery. There was this, this elderly lady, she was choking on something and I got all up behind her, Heimlich that thing out. No joke, listen, I'm not lying. And I have the $5 gift card to, to prove it. That's what, I guess that's the going price of saving somebody's life. But I did, did the Heimlich. And I said, I don't know if I saved her life, maybe. I've never saved anybody's life spiritually. Only God can do that. I've never set someone free from addictions. Only God can do that. Only the power of God. And so I'm just telling you, if you'll do your very best to bring people and invite them into the presence of God, God will do the rest. We trust him with the outcome. And here's what I've discovered, that when you commit to bringing people who are far from God into the presence of God, he has a way of telling them things about themselves that only he knows. And meeting them right where they are in that moment. I can't tell you how many times People would come up to me after a, a worship service and they'll say, hey, you know, Colby, when you said this and this and this, it just, it, it connected to me and, and that's exactly what I needed. And it was like, I was the only one in the room, you know, speaking and, and they'll walk away and I'll think, I didn't say any of that. You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit of God speaking directly to their heart, meeting them right where they are. You bring someone into the presence of God, God has a way of telling them things about themselves only they know. And when that happens, and I think that's happening right now for some of you, he changes them. He changes their, their life. And so you need to understand the burden isn't on us to find lost things, follower of Jesus. The burden is on us to bring them to God. Finding Philip. Jesus wasn't lost. Philip was lost. Finding Colby. God wasn't lost. Colby, Colby was lost. And there are people all around you in your school and in your home. Think about that. In your home? That are directly in your sphere of influence that you know are far from God? then why wouldn't you want to bring them into the same spiritual journey that you're on? Like, I, I thought about this, and I thought about how about eight years or so ago, my wife and I went to, to Hilton Head. We only had three of our four boys then, and there's this guy that, that sings around a, a tree, 
at one of the, like, the, the lighthouse there in Hilton Head. If you've ever been down there, a bunch of like hundreds of people come out at night, maybe even a thousand or so people, and just he brings kids up onto this little stage, and it's so far away because it's crowded. Like, man, you can't even work your way through the crowd. And he brings kids up on stage and has them sing songs, and it's cute, and everybody laughs, and it's funny. And so Park, who was probably about four or five years old at the time, uh, he goes up on stage, and he's just a ham, and he's crazy. And he's up there singing. I don't know what he's singing. I have no idea. It was probably some Justin Bieber song. I don't know what he was singing. But he goes up there, and he's answering questions. The guy's talking to him, and, and it's funny, and everybody's laughing. He's just this, this, this cool-looking young kid, four or five years old, so, so cute. And then he gets done. He's like, all right, you can go back to your seat. I don't even like thinking about this. I know it's so long ago, but it's still. And for I don't know how long, but we had lost him in this massive crowd of people. And immediately my mind goes to worst case scenario. Somebody grabbed him. Somebody picked up that cute little kid and, and walked off. And I lost my mind. I'm like going through the crowd. I'm just yelling, park, park. Where's park? And somebody help me find Park. And if, if they weren't, I'm like, that kid that was just up there, I can't find him anywhere. And I'm like, if you're not helping me right now, you're a hindrance to me. You're hurting me. You're keeping me from my, my mission of finding my son, Park. And I'm just, I'm yelling. I know I'm looking like a fool. And I'm just, I don't care what I look like in the moment. And somebody else had found him. Somebody, somebody had, had joined in the mission with me. And found my son. And when I, when I wrapped my arms around him, how many of you know it's one of the best feelings of my life? I will never forget it because my son that was lost was now found. And I loved him so much. And I thought about, I just think that's the heart of God for us. And that's what he feels like the moment, the Bible says, when one lost person comes home to the Father and repents and understands this gift of salvation that's been given to him. There's this celebration that happens. There's so much joy that happens when what was lost is now found. And I think sometimes God looks at the church and is like, why don't you get that urgent about the city and about the family and about the school and about the place I've put you in, follower of Jesus? Why don't you get that fired up for, for lost things in your neighborhood? Why do you feel like you need to be so comfortable with where you are when there are hurting and broken and desperate people all around you? Like, why would you not want to do everything you can to rescue them? Because I believe that's the heart of the Father. When we bring them to God, he gets so excited about what was lost is now found. That's what he wants for his church. That's what he wants for every follower. That's the mandate that we have on our lives because found people find people. And if you've received that gift of grace and mercy, why wouldn't you want to share that? Let's do this. Would you stand to your feet and not shuffle around, not leave, because I believe this is a holy moment right here. And just bow your head, close your eyes. Listen, I don't think there's any place more important than for us to be right now, right here in the presence of God and have a Holy Spirit conviction about the people in our lives, our families. God, break our heart if we know we have family members who are far from you. 
that are desperate and searching. God, break our heart if we have friends in our school and in our workplaces, that person that's always complaining. We know that you could change their life in a moment, God. So right now, have God just put that on your heart to where you would be so bold to say, just come and see, come and see, come and see. I don't have all the answers. I don't know how this all works. All I know is there's a man who changed my life who gave me peace and assurance of my eternity. And I'm willing to do whatever I can to get you to that same place. And while we're praying right now, there are those of you in this room, I believe we're watching online, that God's been speaking to you in a completely different way, that he's been knocking on the door of your heart, saying, isn't it time, isn't it time to once and for all surrender your life to follow him, to stop trying to fill that void in your life with everything but God, and finally cross that line of faith, whether you're in this room or online. If you'd say, that's you, you know God is, is calling you to surrender your life and follow him. Would you right now just throw your hand up wherever you are in this room? Just be bold about it. Say, here I am. Yes, all around this room. I see you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Awesome. Nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. Even more. I can't even see in the back. 14. Yeah, yeah. So many people right now saying, I know God is calling me to give my life, to follow him and trust him. And the Bible's clear that as we believe in our heart that God sent his one and only son to this earth to die for our sins and to pay a horrible price so that you and I wouldn't have to pay it. Yet while we were sinners, the Bible says, Christ came to die for us. So we don't have to be perfect. What we have to do is receive his free gift of grace. And if we pray a prayer, there's nothing magical about it. It's the way we communicate with God, but we believe it in our heart. The Bible says we would be saved. We would understand what it means to not only have eternity secure with God, but also to have purpose and hope for today. And so I want to lead you in a prayer that does that. In fact, I'm going to invite our whole church to pray along. Those of you that are followers of Jesus as well, let's, let's just embolden those around us that are praying this maybe for the first time. You repeat after me, say something like this. Jesus, today, I give you my life. Thank you for dying for my sin. I put my faith and my hope and trust in you alone for salvation. Come on, tell me, I confess you as Lord and as Savior. And from this moment on, I'm going to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's worship together. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com slash yes. There will be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com slash give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.